The following is the sermon from Cornerstone United Methodist Church from Sunday, February 14th, 2021. The sermon is entitled Frightening Moments and it's preached by Reverend Roy Terry IV. For more information about Cornerstone United Methodist Church, you can visit cornerstonenaples.org. Today is Transfiguration of the Lord's Sunday. Do you all know that? We've only said it, what, 10 times now? Kind of get in your head. Years ago, I joked about, did you get your Transfiguration of the Lord cards ready to send all your loved ones? No. No? It's not on your top of your priority list. You know, Valentine's Day always falls around that same period of time. But I got to thinking about Transfiguration of the Lord Sunday. I think about all the years preaching this text, uh, this last Sunday of the Epiphanal season. For some of you, you might be familiar with this. For some of you, it might be new to you, um, this story of Jesus taking his disciples up on top of the mountain to pray, to get away. Uh, within the text itself, you can tell that they're exhausted. Um, Jesus and the disciples have been moving from town to town. Hundreds, if not thousands of people have been gathering because they hear the great healer is there. And that's why they're coming. They're coming bringing their sick, their demon-possessed, those who have needs. They're coming to Jesus because Jesus is performing miracles. He's setting them free. And people want to be free, Amen. Anybody out there want to be free? And so they're bringing them to Jesus, and he's setting them free, but it's exhausting work when all people want is to take, 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 and all you have to do is give, give, give. At some point, you've got to get away. You've got to go up to the mountain. And he takes through of his inner circle disciples up with him, Peter, James, and John, and they're exhausted too. Um, matter of fact, Jesus is trying to find a way to avoid some people. You hear it in the text, especially in the Gospel of Mark. Let's just get away, run away. And the people, all of a sudden, they find him, right? Because they long for that freedom that he has to offer. And yet Jesus is setting an example for me and for you that you need to find some time to rest too. That if you're a person in this life, in this current situation in which we find ourselves, where you've been giving, 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 then you need to find time to set aside to be with God and with yourself. There's some people out there that are giving a tremendous amount right now, amen? We've got uh, healthcare workers that are on the front lines all the time. Matter of fact, I just got, was with a nurse yesterday at Naples Community Hospital who got a call from the, the head nurse down there that they were inviting people to come off of their day off so that they could work. You know why they're go needing them down at NCH? It's not because we've got an enormous amount of COVID patients. It's because other places in the country are paying nurses four or five times more than what they make because their hospitals are full of patients and they need care. And so people from Naples, Collier County, nurses and medical assistants are leaving for a couple of weeks because it's a great paying gig, right? But we don't have nurses. So the demand is high, not just in our community, but all over the country and the world. So we pray for those people and I pray especially those of our siblings who are healthcare workers here at Cornerstone, you find some time to rest. Teachers, exhausted, right? Well, you're all like, oh, not so bad. <laughs> Teachers are exhausted, learning new ways of educating. I've got, I've got students in the class. But, and, and all of us in some aspect of our lives have been taxed with the, the task of actually figuring all this out, right? And so Jesus sets the example, find some time to get away, whatever that may look like for you. Which I'm going to give you a word about Sabbath, because a lot of times people think Sabbath is just going to church on Sunday morning. That's not Sabbath. Sabbath is actually doing something different than your regular work. It's taking a day to do something else. 
So you know what I do on my Sabbath? I hang out the barn with the girls and I, I horse around, right? Because it's not related to church at all. I mean, it is God's creation, but it gives me a break. It's a good Sabbath. It's a good Sabbath. So Jesus takes his disciples away to get away so he could spend some time in prayer because he and the disciples, well, they're exhausted. And it's at night. And it seems like it's the only time that he could get any peace. Hmm. It says in the text he's transfigured before them. In other words, the fullness of his glory is revealed. He, he is revealed in the fullness of who he is, which all of us can testify that we might know what that means. It means that when you look at Jesus, we see the fullness of God. And when the disciples were there on the mountain with him, and they looked at Jesus, and he was transfigured, this huge pyrotechnic show comes out, and he's in brilliant white, and he's shining, and there's two visitors standing next to him, and they're in awe. Matter of fact, it says they are terrified by the sight. They experience the fullness of God that is Jesus in that moment. And I got to thinking about questions we could ask ourselves around that. You know? Think back in your life. You've got a whole portrait of what your life looks like. Think back in your life where you experienced God transfigured to you. In your life, what moments in your life did you experience God revealed to you? No, you don't have to answer. This is all in your own head. I mean, I can think of a, quite a few times, but they're not a lot, are they? Matter of fact, they're mountaintop experiences. That's where we get the word. They don't happen a lot, but when they do happen, they impact us in such a way that we actually chart a new path, don't we? We head in a new direction. When we have that epiphanal moment, when we see the light, when we experience it, and we go, oh, wow, God is with me. God is for me. God is calling me. God is inviting me to head in a new direction. Whenever that happens, and whenever it has happened to you in your life, you remember those moments, don't you? I cherish those moments. And sometimes those moments happen in worship. Sometimes those moments happen in your own prayer life. But most of the time for me, they happen in the ordinary life stuff. And it's a mixture of emotions when those things happen. I, I feel joy sometimes. I feel happy. I feel the presence of God. And yet at the same time, I feel terrified, scared, wondering what's next especially when God is calling. Just to share with you a couple moments in my own life, one reminds me of uh, this kind of mixture of emotions. I remember when I, when I got married. Leslie and I got married. Anybody been there? It's a moment of sheer joy and terror, all in the same package. And I remember standing at the front of the altar and Leslie came around the door and approached the aisle, and the organ went, dun, dun, and my heart went, woof. And I turned pale, and I started sweating. True story. And she marched down the aisle, and she got up to the front, and she looked at me, and she said, are you all right? And I said, I will be. <laughs> it's that place in that wedding ceremony where I felt God's presence because God had brought us to this place, called us to be together and to work this out, this life together. And in that moment of marriage, it was both a place of joy 
and at the same time of terror because I didn't know what the future held. I just knew that God was calling us into that. Have you ever been there, that situation? How about, how about this, one, this moment for me? This is the birth of my daughter, Emily. Another moment of sheer joy and ecstasy and extreme terror. A frightening moment, if I must tell you. I mean, Leslie, you know, bore that child for nine months. When that child was born, she was ready. I thought it was kind of a story, right? <laughs> I mean, I saw her belly growing and things like that, but I didn't have a whole lot to contribute to it. I just ate a lot more French fries with her. <laughs> but when that baby was born and, that, and they placed that child in my hands, I realized that, holy cow, I have to be responsible. It's that mixture of joy and terror. I mean, am I going to be a good parent? I mean, how can I raise a child? Have, any, have you all ever hung out with me? <laughs> Do you know who teaches you to parent? Your kid. That's who teaches you to parent. Don't let, you can read all the books, and there's a lot of good books out there, and there's a lot of good information. We have a study we want to do here, too, with Jeffrey and Amy Ulrich. It's awesome. But the truth is, the more you invest in the life of your child, the more they teach you how to be a parent. And that's part of that journey, right? That journey, that tension between extreme joy and extreme terror, because it's another instance in which we don't know completely what's ahead, but we trust God is leading us in that, even in that relationship. You know, another moment for me, was when I actually heard the call of God in my life to become a pastor. And I've never really shared this a lot because it's so boring. Um, there, have been, there were lots of moments that confirmed it, right? But there was a moment where I was sitting down at First United Methodist Church downtown. I had come home from college. I, I knew I wanted to be a youth director, be in ministry in some way, but I didn't know if I wanted to be a pastor of a church completely. And I was sitting in the sanctuary listening to the pastor, lead pastor of that time, who I have to say was pretty boring to listen to. I won't mention any names. But so it wasn't the sermon. It wasn't even the service. I mean, but it was just the fact that in that moment, I was open enough to hear God say, Roy, I think you should be the pastor of a church. And I went, no. I'm perfectly fine being a youth director. I mean, youth directors are the greatest job in the world. Where's Aaron there? You get to go on mission trips, whitewater rafting, snow skiing, or with a bunch of young people whose minds are open. Nobody's set in their ways. They like to have fun. You can play gaga ball. You name it. Youth ministry is great. But to be a pastor of a church, whew, that's a little terrifying. And yet at the same time, there was a joy in that. But the mixture of that joy and that frightening moment is because God is calling us forward into a future that we're not quite certain what's ahead, but we know that God is leading us there. And God is leading not just me there. God is leading every one of you there, too. God is leading every one of you there, too. See, that's what I think the disciples experienced on that mountain that day. It wasn't... Oh, wow, look at Jesus. He's for real. You didn't hear that in the text, did you? No, as a matter of fact, you heard a little panic. 
because Jesus is transfigured. And when he's transfigured, the brilliant white robe that he's wearing, we all think sometimes that that's a a, a vision of the future. Like that's a a vision of the resurrection, you know? This is what Jesus is going to do. It's resurrection for us all. But that white robe is a symbol for something else. It's actually the martyr's robe that he's wearing. When they see Jesus transfigured, they see him wearing the martyr's robe. In other words, the way of the cross. And that's shocking to them. They would know about that robe because they grew up as good Jewish kids trained in the scripture. And they would know that the human one who is referenced in the book of Daniel is seen in a bright white martyr's robe. In other words, the love of God is so much involved in the midst of our life, desiring to overcome the principalities and the powers of the world and our culture of violence and death, that God's willing to enter into our existence, confront those powers by giving of himself to us and for the whole world, amen? That what he is wearing is the robe of the martyr because he's willing to go to the cross rather than to participate in those games of the world. And he's willing to do that alone, right? We're turning towards Lent. We're heading to Jerusalem. We're eventually going to meet Jesus at the cross. And who's there at the cross with him? Well, a few of the women, but that's about it. Because that's not the story we want God to have for us, right? So when they see him transfigured, they see him wearing a martyr's robe, and it catches them back. They're joyful in knowing that Jesus is fully God, but at the same time terrified at what Jesus must do. Not just for them, but for all of us. Praise be to God. Praise be to God. And the two figures standing next to him, who are they? Y'all are asleep. (laughs) Who who are the two figures? Moses, right, and Elijah. You don't recognize them? I'm just kidding. (laughs) Moses and Elijah, representing the law and the prophets. In other words, Jesus is the fullness of the law and the fullness of the prophets, but it means even more than that. Because those two understand what it means to confront the principalities and powers of the world. Moses is called to lead the children of Israel out of the hand of Pharaoh to confront the power, most powerful empire of the day, right? And he leads them out of Pharaoh's hand and out into the wilderness, and then they're complaining. And he goes up on the mountain, and God gives him commandments to give the people, and he goes down and he gives the commandments to the people, and the people don't want the commandments. They don't listen to him. So he breaks the commandments in anger. And then God invites him back up on the mountain. Come back up on the mountain. And when he goes up on the mountain, God reveals God's self to Moses in such a way that his whole countenance is transformed. In other words, the very image of God is implanted in his flesh so that when he goes back down the mountain this time with the Ten Commandments, and he says, these are the commandments, people can see the reflection of God in him. Moses knows what it's like to confront the powers of the world and the people of the world. You need to put your trust and faith in God even in a future that is uncertain. And when we do that, we come down the mountain with God's countenance. And so in this transfiguration moment, we see the countenance of God in Jesus, even though he's going to the cross. And Elijah, 
Elijah, the great prophet. Elijah has that great ceremony in which all the Baal worshipers are all worshiping foreign gods. And he says, oh, you all are worshiping foreign gods, but I'm going to tell you about the one true God. And they have that little competition. Y'all familiar with that story? It's one of my favorite stories as a kid because there's so much power and violence in it, right? So, so they have this, this bet. You all pray and worship and call to your God and you put some you know, ox on the altar and you pray and if your God devours the ox, then your God is the one true God. But, but then you give me my chance if it doesn't happen. And so the Baal worshipers gather and they have their ceremony and guess what? Days go by, nothing happens. And then Elijah puts the ox on the altar. He calls to God, Yahweh, come and be with your people. And whoo, giant column of fire devours the ox and all the Baal worshipers. Now you would think that you would leave there going, my God is strong and powerful. I can put my trust in God. But you know what Elijah does? You all know this. He runs away for fear of his life because he knows that the king and even more than that, his queen are going to come after him because of what he did to their priests. And he goes into the wilderness and he goes up into the mountain and hides in a cave. And it is in that place that God meets him in the cave and says to Elijah, stay here. No, he doesn't say that, does he? <laughs> he says, what are you doing here? This is not where you're supposed to be. You need to go back because I need you there. Because God's people, all people, need you back in the world that you may be good news. So when the disciples see Jesus transfigured before them with Moses and Elijah on either side, what they see is the one who is about to give himself so completely out of love and a desire to redeem the whole of creation away from its violence, death, power-mongering into the new day to tell the better story, to change the cycle. Jesus has done that through his self-giving love. God. And he's revealed on his way to the cross. And then the pyrotechnics go off, and Moses and Elijah are gone, and it's just Jesus there. And he says, come on. Let's go back down the mountain. Now, Moses and Elijah were whispering to Jesus. They were talking with each other. And nobody knows exactly what they were saying. It's right before the voice of God comes, right? And I have to believe that they are saying, hey, man, they didn't use this vernacular, but hey, man, it's going to be tough. But you're not alone. And sometimes taking those steps in faith, well, they've got to be done. Because you are the better story. And then God confirms that by saying, this is my son, the beloved, in whom I am well pleased. Listen to him. And everything goes away. The disciples go with Jesus down the other side of the mountain. He turns to them and he says this, don't tell anybody. 
Isn't that weird? Well, maybe not. Because Jesus isn't interested in the miracle and the flash pots and the glowing robe and all that kind of stuff. That, that was just the indication of who he was. He doesn't want the disciples going down there and go, guess what? We saw Jesus and he was brilliant. Why? He's the Lord. This is all good stuff. Jesus is actually on his way to Jerusalem. He's on his way to the cross. He's on his way to share a full embodiment of God's love for all of us. Praise be to God. He doesn't want it to be a spectacle. Don't tell this story till after the resurrection from the grave, he says. Which gets me to thinking about our own lives again. In those moments in which we experience God transfigured or revealed in our lives. And then to think about where that takes us next. Just like Jesus on the mountain and those disciples having that experience, what happens next? Are you willing to take the steps in your own life to follow God's call, to move in the direction God desires for you, not just for your own benefit, but for others, that others might know the better story, experience the fullness of life? Because that's always where God calls us. And that call is both a joy it's beautiful, and it's frightening. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen. For more information on Cornerstone United Methodist Church, you can visit cornerstonenaples.org or contact the church office through office at cornerstonenaples.org.